Hey everybody, Sean Sewell, the Gamer.com podcast. Today's episode is really going to be a lot of fun and really insightful and very helpful, especially this current moment in our lives. We're all going through COVID-19, stay-at-home procedures, and I'm very fortunate to have on this show, Dr. Hani Flaherty, clinical social worker. So welcome to the show, Hani. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. Well, um, a little background about you. You're out there in New York City with your husband, Matthew, who's on the show last week for a second time. So <laughs> there's, your, there's our tie-in. Um, she's married to a fitness professional, two wonderful kids that speak Mandarin. So that's going to come up, I hope. That's a fascinating topic. <laughs> so, um, and I've had the pleasure, my wife and I have had the pleasure of hanging out with Hani and Matthew in Steamboat. And um, so, Hani, let's talk a little bit about what you do and why you do it. So how did you get into uh, therapy? helping people sure um i think it goes back to regular path in life went to high school went to college because it was the right thing to do didn't really know what i wanted to study i ended up double majoring in college i was a dance and psychology major i believed very strongly in mind body connection and i still do um i had planned to go into dance movement therapy I very quickly realized that wasn't going to be a lucrative career for me um, and really just fell in love with social work. I had taken an internship that was social work related and not psychology related and really just fell in love with the work. Went straight for my master's at NYU and worked right out of my master's in an outpatient mental health clinic specializing in adolescence. Was there for almost 10 years before returning from my PhD and then taking a bit of a different turn into research and academia, but still doing the work. Fantastic. So <clears throat> what a great, unique, or a nice path to go into doing this. And what was your goal going into to therapy? What was the end game? What do you want to do to help people? So when I first started therapy, I being a therapist, I really just wanted to help people. And I think adolescence in particular is when we are trying to figure out who we are and who we're going to be as adults. And that felt like the right time to really make the most meaningful change. Mm -hmm. And I did that work for so long and I really did enjoy it. But I felt there were a lot of gaps in the system and I felt I can do more good. Mm -hmm. And there's so much stigma around mental health services and receiving mental health services. Mm -hmm. That's where my research has really taken me and my education. So I'm also a full-time professor of social work. And that's really the movement that I'm trying to be part of now and push to destigmatize mental health services. How do we get more people who need care to care? Because there's good services out there. There's good interventions out there. Why aren't people receiving the care they need? Oh, so well That's said. That's been a moving force for me. Yeah, I can feel you on that. As, as a person who um, admits to working through uh, therapy, and I've gone through therapy for 20 plus years, it has saved my life time and time again. And I like to publicly admit that because I hope to break down the barriers and the stigma people might associate with, with seeking help. As you so well put, you know, um, in your bio, I love this. Um, about do you want you should probably say it in your words about uh, the band-aid yeah. well I think I'm gonna I'll share that metaphor in one second but I also think it's important to remember most people who become therapists and I'm no exception here become a therapist for one of three reasons either 
they're really just drawn to help people because they're good people, which I think is the smallest portion. Mm-hmm. It's really something has happened in their life and they've received help from someone special and they want to be that special person and pay it forward or something's happened in their life and they didn't receive help. And now they want to be that person for others. So when you're thinking about going for help, most of us have been in a place where we've needed help and either have gotten it or not. So the therapist understands. We get it. Yeah. So the metaphor I think you're speaking to, mm-hmm. and I've used this metaphor in two different ways, is therapy, a lot of times it's like you fall and you will skin your knee. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's an emotional skin your knee instead of a physical skin your knee. And sometimes a band-aid's enough. Whatever you've done in the past is enough. But what happens when that is not enough? If it's an injury and you've hurt yourself and you need stitches, you go to a doctor and you don't think twice about that. Right. But for some reason, people really hesitate before they go to a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a therapist because of the stigma. Mm-hmm. And they let that fester. So now you come to the therapist. It's not a nice clean wound anymore. It's dirty, it's gross, it's build up. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, therapy doesn't always become that easy thing anymore. So the first thing we do is we rip off that Band-Aid, which hurts and I'm sorry. We have to get in there and clean out all of that grass and dust and whatever else is in there and that debris. Also, not easy and I'm sorry, but we'll do it together. But then it starts to heal. And this is the cool part about therapy is that it does heal and we can do it together. And the work we do is proven. Mm -hmm. And then it will be better. Now, skin scars. I can't do anything about that. There will be a scar. Mm -hmm. What happens to us stays with us. We have the scars of our history, of our past and things that happen. But scars tissue, as we know, is stronger than regular skin. And it makes us who we are. So what happens to us, we can build on, build strength and makes us who we are. So That's I think cool. that was the metaphor you were. Yes. <laughs> and, oh, well, I'm glad you said it in your words. Uh, and it's true. You know, scar tissue is stronger. And also it, it proves that you've been through something, a challenge, an obstacle, a huge painful thing. And I'm covered physically and probably emotionally in scars because I've been well, through it. Yeah. And it, it's just, um, it's a nice reminder that you, you fought, you, you, you persevered. You're still here. And then when other things happen in your life, like COVID, mm-hmm. You can handle it. Whatever tools and techniques you've learned to get through that other trauma, whether it's a big T or tall or small T trauma, mm-hmm. you can use those techniques for other traumas in your life. That's a very good point. That's mm-hmm. a very good point. I know everybody's going through COVID, the whole world together right now, which is really beautiful, I think, and very um, bonding for a lot of us. Um, and to be honest, this last two months for myself, I'm not trying to brag, but I've really enjoyed it. I've had a good time. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, like podcasts and tele, like what you're doing, uh, tele service, you know, tele fitness and um, reaching out to family and loved ones I haven't talked to in a very long time. Heck, tomorrow I have a jam session with a bunch of friends. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. Zoom it or FaceTime, whatever it takes. <laughs> it, um, you know, to your point, once you uh, overcome something, adversity, it, it gives you a strong, a new tool, your toolkit to handle life. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And if people are willing to face that and seek help from somebody like you, that's a, that's a wonderful thing, you know, and I hope that people can get that message from you and from me and from other people that it is okay to seek help and it will only serve you in your best interest. Yeah. And I also think there's a myth about therapists that it's forever, that it's never ending, that once you start it, it doesn't end. Most therapists don't think that way. 
Mm-hmm. You come to therapy, we have a goal, whatever that goal is, whether it's anxiety, depression, to get you through COVID unscathed. I'm glad that you're enjoying this. Not all of us are. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I'm, pretty I'm glad you're having a good time. Um, some of us who are chasing little kids and trying to homeschool and trying to keep our relationship going oh, yeah. or have left Manhattan with little children and have moved in with in-laws. You know, some of us aren't having such a fabulous time. I um, see that for sure. <laughs> You know, and there is anxiety and there is stress and there is some traumatic experience and there is loss and there is grief and there is unknown and there is loss of control. Yes. Um, so there is, even though we are all in this together, it's the sense that we're all in the same storm. We're all in very different sized boats. I love that. You're the second person to mention that in the last two weeks on the show. And it I was love that in the New York Times. I can't hold oh, reference to that. Well, so I like that saying a lot. <laughs> You know, we're not all in the same boat. You're right. We're all in the same storm. Uh-huh. Different boats. Different boats. Um, you know, we were planning our trip to Colorado, and that has been canceled. And that's really – I would love to be out in the mountains right now where my kids can go out the back door and have freedom, and that's part of the reason we came to Long Island. But my dear friends that are still in their apartments in Manhattan are having a very different experience of this, yes. especially with their children and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um I lost track of what we were. Oh, so what we're saying is, so if you come to therapy for purpose, we will accomplish those goals and send you back out into the world. You're not going to be in therapy forever. Yeah. You know, you're not going to uncover some deep, dark secret you didn't know you had. It's not <laughs> our goal. Yeah. Um, there's not going to be some Freudian where you're going to lie on a couch and I'm going to sit there and take notes. And how does that make you feel? And if it's not one thing, it's your mother, you know, this is not how it's going to go. Yeah. Therapy has changed. We are going to talk. We are going to explore. I'm going to ask you what your symptoms are. We are going to figure out how to reduce those symptoms and you're going to go back out into the world. And if something else happens, you come on back. Yeah. No, I'm glad to hear you say that. And then I hope, hopefully people that makes more sense because as a person who has gone to therapy for a numerous things, it, it is, it's not like you go there and it happens. You have to keep going and you, there is a goal, like, like Hani said, and um, the therapist helps you get to that goal. They don't, they don't want to see you forever. No. <laughs> they don't want that. If I'm seeing you forever, it means I'm not doing my job. Yep. Good point. Very good point. It means I didn't, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I've seen a therapist as, as <clears throat> infrequently as um, three times and I got to where I needed to go. And it was a very big topic. It was, uh, bereavement actually so you know you probably we talked about this before i've lost mm-hmm. my mother father sister and brother and most recently my mother and within three sessions we're, we're able to make a very big breakthrough from complicated grief to integrated grief which is a very big topic to to uh, assimilate but um we were successful with it and it's been great so if that's hope for anybody out there uh three sessions to handle like loss of that level that's that's it's doable so Absolutely. And it's not about forgetting or being able to, you know, completely cope, but it gets you to a place where you can move on with your grief yes. and join society and do what you need to do while managing your grief in a way that's comfortable for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very big topic that everybody listening to this is going to experience at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. So I wish them all the best with that path. And hopefully they do have good resources and there's a lot of resources out there for free. 
as well. Uh, some, yeah. you know, there's some to pay for, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. If a person in this situation goes through hospice, at least in Colorado, they get six sessions with a bereavement therapist. So there's some hope there. Yeah. And with the integration of telemental health, there's a lot that has changed thanks to COVID-19. I don't know if I can say thanks to COVID-19. <laughs> You know, silver linings to this. Yeah. Um, Tom Mental Health is booming and we're doing it in positive ways. And insurance companies are now paying for telemental health, which they weren't before. So if you have health insurance, you can receive quality care in your home through telemental health services, um, which would be similar to this, a Zoom session where I can see you once a week. And I bet that uh, brings a level of comfort for a lot of people too, because now maybe they have agoraphobia or other anxiety issues they can do from their own home. You know, that's very rewarding. And if you live in a small town where the only therapist is your mom's best friend, you <laughs> want to go to them. Yeah, it might behoove you to look outside that bubble. <laughs> so, well, when we think about, you know, we met in Steamboat. How many therapists are there in Steamboat that specialize in adolescence or specialize in grief? If you are that one LGBTQ adolescent in the high school of how many, yeah. do you want to share that with, someone who could potentially know your mother, you know? So there's That's definitely good. openings for this. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this is great, honey. I really appreciate yeah. unpacking this and making this more accessible for the, me the, the people listening to this and, and watching this. Yeah, I feel like we've gotten so deep so quickly. <laughs> I know, I love doing that. I like just <laughs> going right for it. It's <laughs> important. It's important to just get to the, to the point sometimes. Um, so your background, um, high-risk behaviors, um, anxiety, depression, um, do you find oftentimes that depression is interwoven with anxiety and or anger? And I was sorry, I kind of trailed off there for a second. I, I should have stopped the sentence with that. I, I know for myself, anxiety and depression wove pretty tightly, but I've seen with other people that I know, uh, anger in there as well. So I think... Yes, anxiety and depression usually go hand in hand. And I think anger is, I'm going to unpack those two because I think those are two different questions. So yes, anxiety and depression go hand in hand and, or can be separated. It really depends on the situation and the client. Um, but a lot of people do specialize and therapists do specialize in both because it is very common for them both to be there. And I think anger is such a fun emotion and such a powerful emotion. Mm -hmm. So if we think of our feelings as if they were colors, right? And we think of the three primary colors as our three primary feelings, happy, glad, sad, happy, mad, sad, excuse me. So if happy is yellow, mad is red, sad is blue. And we think of all of the other feelings as some combination of those colors. And we can get as intricate as we want, right? Yeah. But all of our feelings can really come down to whether we're happy, we're mad, or we're sad. A lot of times if something happens and it's positive, we know we can be happy. But when it's not positive, we don't know if we want to be mad or if we want to be sad about it. Mm -hmm. and usually sad isn't such a great feeling. So sometimes we lean into mad. Mm -hmm. It's a more powerful feeling. It gives us more control. We can be angry and scream and yell and punch walls and feel better about that than being sad and crying and not have power. So I think a lot of times we tend to lean towards mad yeah. when really we're feeling sad. Wow. That's deep. I like that. So, that was something well to think about. What? 
That was very well explained. <laughs> so, you know, that's something to think about a lot. And I think labeling our feelings is something we need to do more often. And what we also confuse a lot is our feelings and our thoughts. We very often confuse, is this a feeling that I'm having? Am I really mad? Or is this a thought that I'm having? Interesting. Can we get a little deeper in that? Yeah. So let's think of a situation. Um, I'm stuck at home because of COVID. Mm-hmm. I have to give up my trip to Colorado. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are all my thoughts. But what is the feeling? The feeling is anger. The feeling is sadness. Gotcha. But sometimes we get so caught up in keeping those together that separating the two and saying, well, what is my feeling? What is my thought is really important because the other piece we can add in that is what is the behavior? So that thought, feeling, behavior triangle is also really important. Nice. Knowing what's going on. This is really helpful. I like this. Yeah, a lot of this is therapy, you know, one-on-one stuff. Like, this is why we go to therapy, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I've never heard explained so simply and effectively the colors, mm-hmm. the triangle. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like you mentioned earlier, there's been some uh, silver linings in this whole COVID thing. So, it's great that the teletherapy is working out and the insurance is covering that better. Mm-hmm. Um that was something you were doing beforehand though, right? You were offering online education. Yes. So one of my more recent areas of interest for research has been integrating technology into education and into therapy. Mm -hmm. This movement I saw coming no matter what people have been wanting to take more and more classes online. So how do we, my question has always been, how do we do it? Well, how do I, you know, teaching something like math, I can do that online. But how do I teach something like social work? Mm-hmm. How do I teach empathy, engagement, these concepts in online? You know, obviously when it comes to asynchronous learning, that's impossible. But I can do it in synchronous learning if I put enough time and energy into it. So we were already starting to do that prior to COVID-19. Now, obviously, it's our only platform for the moment. Wow. Very fortuitous that you were already paying that direction. I mean, we saw it coming. I mean, a lot of people were already starting to want to take classes online. We have an international platform. I should probably mention I teach at Yeshiva University, Wurzweiler School of Social Work. So we already had a platform. We have students all across the country and internationally. We have a huge population in Israel and in Canada. Um, so we're already trying to figure out how to get that education to them. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, and to try and relate to that too, you know, I've talked with Matthew and other people um, from strong first and other fitness professionals, how great is it to be able to positively affect somebody outside of our little bubble, you know, outside of NYC, outside of Denver to go out there to Jerusalem, to go out to Omaha, Nebraska and positively affect somebody. That's super powerful. Yeah. It's, and that's the other thing is, you know, I came off a meeting earlier this morning where I was in Zoom meeting. One person was in Germany, one was in Israel, I'm trying to remember this, one was in LA, and three of us were in New York, talking about some new technology we're trying to integrate. It was actually really cool. Um, Voice recognition technology, we're trying to use role plays for education, really cool stuff Um, to teach students how to be therapists. And they're all quarantined. Mm They're all calling from their apartments. We have kids coming in. We have dogs coming in. We're all, and it was that idea again, that we're all, even though different time zones, different parts of the world, we're all in this together. Yes. We're all in this. We're all doing this. We're all here. 
and we're working on this project together that's going to possibly change the way we learn. Wow. And it was just like this really great way to say, we're going to help people through this. Mm -hmm. If we can train 20 social workers to be good social workers while this is going on, how many people can those 20 social workers help? Right. Wow. That's really cool. Very powerful. So that's the idea. How do we get help to the people who need it? Yeah. And I, I can imagine after this resolves this, whatever the new new is, there's going to be a lot more people needing a lot more help. Yeah. And I think that's something to think about. The first wave of this was definitely physical, you know, concerns. How do we keep ourselves safe? Mm-hmm. Now it's emotional. Yeah. And I think we're all feeling it. And we started off by talking about the mind-body connection. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely part of it. We're all feeling cramped. We're all feeling stuck. We're all feeling stuck inside. Now the weather's turning. Everyone's talking about, well, how do I get outside? How do I move? I'm feeling better now that I can go for a run. I'm feeling better now that I can go for a jog. There is that connection mm-hmm. that, yes, you are actually feeling better because you can go for a run. Mm-hmm. But when is that run not enough? Yeah. And how do you know? That's a great question. You know, uh, with my background, I'm in the mountains uh, three days a week at the very least, two of which is camping. So really more time in the mountains than almost in the city. And I've been doing it for 10 plus years. And then first week of March, maybe second week of March, not only my three main businesses in person, fitness and coaching closed down, but then my access to the outdoors closed down too. And I would never have ever guessed because that was my that was my personal therapy going to the mountains, using that split board over there and doing all the things right. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been two months, and I've learned to cherish like dog walks, <laughs> just going like hundred feet that direction. But yeah, it yeah it's it's going to be very interesting to see how people come out of this, and hopefully they this uh, gives them context and appreciation for their favorite things and they don't abuse those things. Like I probably was abusing the mountains and taking it for granted. And it's nice to have that go without something for a while to appreciate it. But um, yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. Is there one emotion or one set of emotions you think most people are feeling besides uh, frustration, uh, anxiety? Do you think there's a bit of grief? Like a lot of people have lost jobs, you know? I know grief is not just for like loss of life. Grief can be for loss of anything. Well, and I think, yes, grieving. But I think it's more than just the grief. I think it's loss of control and loss of identity. Mm, And I think those two losses, a lot of people are feeling intensely, but can't necessarily pinpoint it as that. You know, like you said, a huge part of your identity is being able to go out in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And although you're feeling that loss in the ability to do that, what does that leave for you without being able to do that? And if you've lost your job and that's part of who you are, I mean, we ask each other, what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. When you introduced me, my title was the first thing we said, what I do is the second. Right. And if you've lost that, who are you? That's what is your next move? Yeah. Oh, that's a very big point. And I know a lot of people I've had on here, whether they're fitness or athletes, I know athletes who have had missions, big ones, movie, uh, movie things, you know, for Red Bull to go to South America to climb mountains. They can't do it because it's, that's not safe. They can't do that. That's their identity. They're a professional athlete. They're mm-hmm. a, they're, they're a, a fitness coach. They're a kettlebell instructor. They are a lawyer. They are a whatever. And they can't do that. Then what? <laughs> 
Right. With yep. the added on issue of, you know, finances and all right. things that come up with loss of job and, mm -hmm. you know, so who am I if I can't do what I love? But this is also an identity of what I've done. I put so much of my passion into my life. And, you know, we talk about athletes. This is what they've done for years and years and years to get to where they are. And now they can't even train for it. Mm -hmm. they? And what is the world going to look like? And will they be able to go back to it? Right. And that loss of control is very difficult. Yeah, it really is. Oh, control. That's, that's mm -hmm. a tough one. Um, what is the saying about controlling what you can control and accepting what you can't accept, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a much more beautiful way of saying that, I'm sure. Oh, are you thinking the AA mantra? Yeah, the AA, yeah exactly. What is it? Um, higher power... Uh, grit me power to accept what I cannot control to control. Oh, I'll get it. Give yeah. me a moment. Come back to me. Mm -hmm. That's the one. Exactly. And I think it, it's very simple and it's very profound at the same time and very effective. Do my best to embrace it every day. But uh, it's true. You know, you can't control everything. And most of us right now are in the situation we've never even fathomed when the control is like out the window, basically. But how do we accept it? How do we you know, embrace it and make the most of it. That's, it's been interesting watching people, you know, handle in different ways. And some days are better than others for everybody. Everybody's got a little bit you know, going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about this before we push record, but a lot of my friends out here are firemen, firewomen. And um, I, was, I was talking with one on a, on a Zoom call probably a month and a half ago. And I said, what's changed the most for you? And he's like, the domestic violence calls. Yeah. And that was pretty heartbreaking mm -hmm. right there. Um, and as a person who works with relationships, is there any kind of advice you might be able to give listeners, you know, cause we're all stuck together a little more <laughs> than usual than ever. Um, yeah. Any kind of quick advice, like take a break, things get escalated. Well, I think domestic violence is definitely up, whether it even gets to that level or not. Mm -hmm. um, interrelationships have been difficult, mm -hmm. whether it becomes violent or not your relationship with others is becoming difficult. We are all in high stress situations. Our communication is being tried. We are living together in small quarters. You know, that is becoming difficult. And I think what we have to remember is a few things. One, we are not mind readers. No matter how long you have been with your partner, no matter how well you think you know your partner, you've met my partner, um, we have been, I don't know if you've heard our story or not, we have been together since, I was 18 years old. Did you know wow. that? I did not know that. Yes. We've been together since I was 18 years old. Wow. Um, we've been together a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And I still, we cannot read each other's minds. As much as you think you know each other, you have to verbalize what you're thinking, what you need, and what you want. Very wise words. Heard. <laughs> yeah, listen to that. Oh, it's so true. Um, and I think that's really important. So you have to remember we are not mind readers. You have to verbalize what's going on. If you need space, if you want space, if you're having a bad day, if you are just feeling icky, you need to verbalize that because otherwise sparks are going to fly and no one's going to know why. Mm -hmm. I think also creating emotional space when we can't create physical space is really important. Nice. Yeah. And whatever that means, if that means this is my time, this is your time, I'm going to go take a bath. I'm going to go for a run. This is my corner. This is your corner. Mm -hmm. This is my reading space. You know, creating some sort of emotional 
space or, and or physical space is important. That's, that's very helpful. Okay, saying tap out, I need my time. Mm-hmm. This isn't personal, but I'm going to go lock myself in the bathroom now. Yeah, I, I fully get Not that. Not only do you really need it. Yeah, <laughs> I can appreciate that. So um, my office was in the living room of our condo mm-hmm. up until about a month and a half ago, and we realized that we needed that space because we're both working from home. And so now I'm in uh, the, the gym, and I've created my space here. It's like my little space to go create and work and communicate, and she gets to have her space over there to do the same. It's been a, a lifesaver. So. I hope we do that. Yeah, we created a desk space. So we left the city. Um, we felt we needed to with our children. And I created a little workspace for myself um, in the bedroom, which is where I am now. And so I worked very hard to create this space. And the first thing my husband does, love him dearly, is put his computer down on this desk. Uh-huh. And I said, absolutely not. Uh-huh. This is my space. Mm-hmm. Mine. But... <laughs> Like even just having his desk, his computer there was too much for me. Uh-huh. I needed it not to be here. Yeah. My space, his space. And that's okay. These are my oh. needs. And I verbalized that, you know, and that's what we need to do. And remember, you know, again, we're in this possibly for a while longer, mm-hmm. verbalize your needs. He's not a mind reader. He, he didn't know. He was like, yeah, there's space there. I'm going to put it in and plug it in. He didn't <laughs> realize this is what was going on for me. And God love him. I'm the psychologically minded one in the relationship. There needs to only be one, um, you know, that's fine, but I need to communicate that. Mm-hmm. And if it does spark and it does get violent and you do find yourself in a domestic violence situation, there is help out there. There's discreet help out there. I want to make sure you're aware. I can send you some resources for that, but there are a number of sites that you can get help um, discreetly mm-hmm. if you feel you need it. That's, that's very helpful. Um, I'll definitely put that in the show notes as well. Um, on that level, I um, was very fortunate for years to have trained a few social workers um, it, working in that area specifically. Mm-hmm. And um, talking about mind-body connection, when they would come in some days, they really needed, they needed some mind-body connection. Yeah, they, they, there's some crazy stuff out there in the world, and they see it, you see it. I've seen some of it. And uh, yeah. We're all in this together. We're all trying to do our best. But yeah, the seeking help um, is very important. And if people are nervous about that, you know, having discreet services is very, for safety as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll put that in show notes for sure. Yeah. And we talk about mind-body connection. One of my other areas when we talked about self-harm um, is non-suicidal self-injury among adolescents. So this idea that there is this mind-body connection, it, it, this goes deep. Mm-hmm. You know, who are overrun with emotion can turn that inward physically. You know, people who are saying, I'm having a really hard day. I want to go for a hard run. Mm-hmm. You know, get run so hard until they overrun. You know, people who have some difficulty with eating disorders, overeating, undereating. I mean, there is a body, mind-body connection. And sometimes that's fine. If you're having a hard day and you go for a run, that is a great way for self-care. Mm-hmm. It's about knowing when that's not enough and when you need to seek more help. That's a very good point. I think that'll resonate with a lot of listeners because mm-hmm. even ones I've had on the, on the show, professional athletes or semi-professional sponsored athletes, 
you know, when I ask them, why do you run so far? Or why do you crush yourself so much? You're going for type three fun when type one fun would be enough for type two possibly. And that's often, and you probably see this very often, that it's not enough. Like they, they need, it's, a, it's addiction. They need, they're running from something, a lot of pain. And by physical, almost physical pain, it kind of fills that void. Well, that's what I hear number one from my adolescents who self-harm, mm -hmm. that they self-harm because they are going through some emotional pain and that it doesn't make sense. You can't see that pain. Mm -hmm. So they will harm themselves because then that makes sense and that pain makes sense to them or it's a release that by harming themselves, they can release that emotional pain through the physical pain. And what we're talking about is no different. Mm -hmm. releasing that emotional pain through physical pain now by all means if it's a little bit of pain so you want to go run a little bit of pain mm -hmm. go for it i got into i had a day with my kids today i could not tolerate them i went for a 20 minute run that was a band-aid like we said you know when is a band-aid enough that band-aid was enough mm -hmm. but at what point would that band-aid really have not been enough yeah now we're not saying that everyone who's a marathon runner is doing it because of emotional pain. That is not what we're saying here. Exactly. Yeah. And I want to be very clear about that. I'm not saying that every athlete is doing this because of some deep-rooted emotional pain. I am not saying that at all. I think there's many athletes who are very talented when they do. Like I said, I was a dancer for years. I also was a competitive horseback rider. We'll go down that path another time. Um, you know, they're you know talented, talented athletes, but there are some. Mm -hmm who do this work and push themselves to the edge because of emotional pain. Absolutely. Well stated. Yeah. And that's true. hundred percent agree with what Hani said. Um, not everybody out there doing the athletics is, is this way, but we know several people who, who do push it. And yeah, that's who we're talking about to clarify. And clearing their head emotionally will probably make them better athletes. Oh, for sure. Less injured. <laughs> mm -hmm. headed. Mm -hmm. Feel better about themselves, accept themselves. Yeah, absolutely. That was very, very helpful. Yeah. Horseback riding. I I learned more about horses. Uh, and the two there's two styles of horse riding, yes. right? There's, um, <laughs> you can tell them. I'll mess this up. What are the two styles? This is like a lifetime ago. I feel like I've lived a thousand lives. Like this was many lives ago. Rail racing? Were you barrel racing or? No, I was English equestrian. Joker. That's the other one. Okay. Yeah. I am on our agreement. I'm New York East Coast. You're yeah. Colorado. So we. Yeah. Wild West. Classy. <laughs> I did not say that. Well, I did, but that's my. my <laughs> no, uh, how, how that came up in my vocabulary was um, my agreement writers. I got. Bad, I'm bad with mirror today. It's over there. Um, I have uh, like three or four new ones and they're really like very Western, like, you know, full on mud boots and just these women are badasses and they're talking in a language. I had no idea what they're talking about. This jargon is over my head. Um, it's cool. You know what people get into. Well, so a lot of fun. And like I said, I'm, again, this is what all led me down my path. Um, love working with that animals for for a while i thought i was doing actually did a study as part of a study with a uh, equine therapy that's using horses in therapy one of our yeah. dogs i don't know if matt mentioned this we're really into our dogs we have two staffies uh -huh. um our older girl that's probably around this room somewhere is a ther registered therapy dog she sometimes comes to the office with me oh, cool. um 
And I don't know if you guys know what a staffy is. Those of you who don't, go look up a picture. They look like little pit bulls. Staff and I think terrier. really, what? Stafford Terrier? English Staffshire Bull Terrier. Sure. Um, you'll have to look up a picture. You know, and I think it helps because when you hear therapy dog, a lot of times you picture little white fluffy things. Mm -hmm. This is not. Um, this looks like a little mini pit bull. She's black, a little white mark. She's adorable. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes helps when you think of a therapist and see my little mini pity and um you know it just helps a little bit oh dogs always help and i've met your dogs a few times you uh, have oh yeah um i met them i was doing my strong first sfg um with fabio zonin was the lead instructor and doc hartle and then matthew came by with one of the kids and the two dogs hung out mm -hmm. in the gym and uh the it, the dogs made the, the day better for sure <laughs> so the well-behaved black dog is my therapy dog that's my oh, girl she, wednesday chill, she laid down yeah well she knows how to behave because she's a therapy dog the really obnoxious uh brown and white one with the two different color eyes yeah that's pugsley that's not my therapy dog so uh adam's family right yes yeah <laughs> took me a while to figure it out my wednesday wow wednesday all right um yeah so I met your dogs. They're great dogs. They're very, very cute. <laughs> well behaved. Yeah. yeah, but I think it helps to kind of shed that image of what therapy is and what it can be and all that. Oh, I appreciate that. And, you know, um, we have two dogs as well, and they are like my best friends. I, they're, mm -hmm. they're everything to me. And when my, my sister was in hospice, my father and my mother, when I would go to visit, I was allowed to bring the dogs. They're very well behaved as well. And let me tell you, Dogs bring out the best in a lot of people. Like they just went in there and people just more tentative and more receptive and more loving. And, um, and our dogs loved it, of course. They get more attention. Mm -hmm. uh, dogs, the best thing ever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you've given us a lot to work with here. Um, I'm, I'm going to have resources below um, for those of you who would like to get, seek more help, um, whatever that is to you. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Honey, is there anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with? It'd be very, very helpful so far. I hope so. Again, it's, we will get through this. We will get out of this. Um, the world may look different, but change is part of life. Yeah. Get through it by taking it one step at a time, one day. Oh, the serenity prayer just popped in my head. God mm -hmm. grant me to accept the things I cannot change, the strength to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Was that the one you were thinking That's the of? One. That was the one. Nailed That's it. Fair. So, you know, it's, it comes from an AA mantra. Um, those of you who don't know AA, it's Alcohol Anonymous. Um, and you can change God with higher power or whatever you'd like. Yeah, I did that. That was, that was really cool. But it's... But that's kind of the idea, you know, God grant me the strength to accept the things I cannot change, change the thing, uh, the strength to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. Take every day, one step at a time, do what you can to get through today. Tomorrow will come. Tomorrow will be different, even though it doesn't feel different right now. Yeah. We'll get through this. And, you know, there's no right way to quarantine. I know everyone's being pressured to do it the right way and whatever that means, we'll get through it. Keep yourself in as best mental health and physical health as you can. Keep your children in as best mental and physical health as you can. Your partners in as best mental and physical health as you can. Express your needs and get help when you need it. And whatever that looks like to you, you can find that. Oh, very and well no said. Shame in that. No shame. Then that, hopefully people take that away from this. There's no shame in seeking help. 
I mean, I wouldn't be here without seeking help. I know a lot of people I care about would not be either. Um, so I wouldn't be here without seeking help. I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing. I hope maybe I change your idea of what a therapist looks like or how we talk. Um, you know, but coming into the office when I had an office, have an office that's collecting dust in Midtown. Um, you know, it's very different, but this is what therapy looks like now with telemental health and the different platforms and some of them, you don't even have to turn your video on. It can remain very confidential. It's very private. Yeah. And again, there's different levels, you know, so social work, psychiatrist, psychologist, licensed mental health counselor. There's all sorts of different acronyms and you can look up the differences, but we're all mental health professionals. We're all psychotherapists. We're here to help. That's so awesome. Well, Dr. Flaherty, you've done a great job of making this more approachable for our listeners and viewers. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. And all the best to you and Matthew and the boys and, and the dogs um, and to you listeners and viewers out there from a personal level. Um, again, like I said, many times throughout the shows and this show in particular, I've gone through therapy It saved my life. It can, it can save yours. Uh, we'll put as many resources as possible below in the show notes and uh, much love to you and your families. And thank you for your time and take care.